As he said, my name is Ryan Stoll. I'm very excited to be with you guys this evening, and I am excited to see what we can learn through the Word of God together. So if you will, bow your heads. We're going to go ahead and start with prayer. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us this evening as we listen to your Word. Spirit, I pray that you would move among us, Lord. It's, it's, this, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that convicts and brings the, the Word of God into our lives and, and creates life change. And so, Lord, I pray that you would do that this evening. That as we talk more about what the gospel is and we talk more about what it means to be evangelists and to take that gospel to the world, um, I pray that you would put passion in our hearts for those who are lost, those who are far off. Lord, and I pray that if there's anybody in this room who does not already know you, that through this sermon, through this message, and through the reading of your word, that they would repent and return to you. Lord, would all glory and honor and power be to your name, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, as Matt mentioned, you guys just finished your series on the Gospel 101, and then the natural outflow of that is to then begin to discuss evangelism, thus the series Go Fish. Um, Now, those two words, both the gospel and evangelism are very churchy words. These are words that you likely will not hear outside of a, out of a church uh, setting. So unless you're with Christians or you're in some kind of a religious institute in a Christian school, it's very unlikely that you'll ever hear what those words are and what they mean. Um, it, is, is it possible, could one person, just raise your hand, one person thinking back to the Gospel 101 series give us a definition of what the gospel is? Does anyone want to, want to try a shot on that one? I believe in you guys. I know you paid super close attention to Matt's sermons. And that's, and honestly, um, as I mentioned, like these words are, are they're words that we use a lot in the church, but we often don't know what they mean. And so what we're going to do then is we're going to take a little bit of time and we're going to watch a video from a group called the Bible Project that will help us see what the gospel is and then what evangelism is. So if we can go ahead and cue that video um, and we will take a look. There's this beautiful poem. It's in the book of Isaiah. The city of Jerusalem has just been destroyed by Babylon, a great kingdom in the north. And all of these Jewish people, they've been sent away into exile, but a few remain in the city. And they're left wondering what just happened? Has our God abandoned us? Right, because Jerusalem was supposed to be the city where God would reign over the world to bring peace and blessing to everyone. Now Isaiah had been saying that Jerusalem's destruction was a mess of Israel's own making. They had turned away from their God, become corrupt, and so their city and their temple were destroyed. Yeah, everything seems lost. But the poem goes on. There's a watchman on the city walls. And far out on the hills, we see a messenger, and he's running towards the city. He's running, and he's shouting, good news. And Isaiah says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Beautiful feet? Yes. The feet are beautiful because they're carrying a beautiful message. What's the message? That despite Jerusalem's destruction, Israel's God still reigns as king, and that God himself is going to one day return to this city, take up his throne, and bring peace. And the watchmen sing for joy because of the good news that their God still reigns. Now in the New Testament, we find this same phrase, the good news. It's the Greek word euangelion, and it's also sometimes translated with the word gospel. So when Christians say, do you believe the gospel? 
they mean, do you believe the news? But not just any news. In the Bible, this phrase is always about the announcement of the reign of a new king. And in the New Testament, the Gospels use this phrase to summarize all of Jesus' teachings. They say that he went about proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom. So Jesus saw himself as the messenger, bringing the news that God reigns. Yes, but the way that he described God's reign, it surprised everybody. I mean, think, a powerful, successful kingdom. It needs to be strong, able to impose its will, able to defeat its enemies. But Jesus said the greatest person in God's kingdom was the weakest, the one who loves and who serves the poor. And he said that you live under God's reign when you respond to evil by loving your enemies and forgiving them and seeking peace. This is an upside-down kingdom. Now, Jesus also said that this kingdom was arriving with him. Yeah, so for example, there's this really interesting story where there's a high-ranking Roman officer, and he comes to Jesus begging him to heal his servant. And he even calls Jesus his Lord, acknowledging that Jesus is his authority. Jesus praises this man for recognizing what no one else yet had, that not only was Jesus announcing God's kingdom, he was the king. And so the word gets out that this Jewish man from Galilee is talking and acting like he's the king of Israel. He's appointing 12 disciples, which are an image of Israel's 12 tribes. He's healing people, forgiving people their sins. And all of this so threatened Israel's leaders that they finally decide to have him killed. And Jesus let them. Yeah, which is a weird thing to do if you're trying to become king. That's right, but for Jesus, this is what had to happen. Jesus saw the sin and the devastation of his people Israel as just one small part of the entire human condition. How all humanity has rebelled against God, resulting in the tragedy and devastation of our whole world. So how is God going to bring his reign over such a world? Jesus believed it would be through an act of sacrificial love for his enemies. This is why in the Gospels, Jesus' crucifixion is depicted as his enthronement as the king of the Jews. Yeah, he receives a crown. He also receives a robe. He's exalted up, not onto a throne, but onto the cross. How beautiful are the feet that bring good news. And the good news now is that Jesus has defeated death and that he reigns as king that he's dealt with our sin and corruption himself and that he's conquered it with his life and with his love. And then Jesus sends his followers to go out and keep announcing this good news of the upside down kingdom. And to invite everyone to give their allegiance to him, the king who defeated death with his love. So that was a lot of information in a very short period of time. I want to make sure that we don't miss some of the things that were stated about what the gospel is. Um, So a couple things to keep in mind is that the gospel in the Old Testament is always about the announcement of the reign of a new king. So when good news would come, it was the announcement that the old reign of tyranny is over and there's a new king who's coming to this land. In the New Testament, the writers say that Jesus went around sharing the good news about the gospel, about the the good news about the kingdom of heaven, that the kingdom of heaven had come to this earth. This is, really is incredible news because 
I know that, that you and I both have experienced this, living in a world that is so full of sin and suffering and abuse, um, people who take power into their own hand and, and rule over others with an iron fist. There's a message going around that Jesus Christ was spreading that the kingdom of heaven was coming to this earth despite the destruction, the suffering, and sin that are so prevalent in our world, God still reigns as king, and God himself is going to return and take up his throne and bring peace. Now, I don't know if you guys see the contradiction here. Jesus is living in a time when, when kingdoms still existed. You know, we have a, a kingdom in England to some extent. There's a royal family, uh, but it's not quite the same it was back then. During the, the time of Christ, Kingdoms back then were much more like a dictatorship. So you had Rome that was the ruling authority over Jerusalem. And then you have this guy coming along saying, hey, there's a new kingdom that's coming, and I'm the king of that kingdom. If you can imagine, the king of Rome was, was not happy about that, right? The king of Rome was not thinking, this is amazing, there's a new kingdom coming, and I'm not the king of it. And so as a result, the political leaders and the religious leaders put Jesus to death. So we're going to talk this evening about the first evangelistic message that was preached after the resurrection of Christ. This is found in Acts chapter 2. You guys can go ahead and move to, to Acts chapter 2, and I'm just going to set the stage um, a little bit while you guys are turning to Acts 2. If you don't have your Bibles, it will be up on the screen. Um, if you have your Bibles, you'll notice something. As I'm reading along, we're going to go through the majority of Acts 2, but I'm going to I'm going to skip through some verses. So you'll get the overall picture of Peter's sermon, but if you see me skipping verses, just know I'm not using some like weird alternative Bible. I intentionally, for time purposes, decided to move through uh, some of Peter's points a little bit more quickly. So just keep that in mind. Um, up till this point, Jesus had spent three years, from age 30 to age 33, in his public ministry. During his public ministry, he was teaching, he was talking about the kingdom of heaven, he was healing and doing miracles, he was providing for the poor and for the needy. And at the end of that period was when, at the end, when he was 33 years old, that was when the Roman government, along with the Jewish leaders, decided to put Jesus to death because of his rebellion that he was for, and his quote-unquote rebellion. Um, if you guys were here for the previous series, for the Gospel 101, then you know what happened next. Jesus was killed, and he was crucified, and he was buried, but the story did not end there. He rose on the third day, and at that point, he began to appear to the 12 disciples, and even it says in, in the scripture that he appeared to 500 believers at one time. And that is the setting for this sermon that we're going to, that we're going to read here in just a moment. Jesus has risen from the grave. He's meeting with his disciples. In Acts chapter 1, he, he meets with his disciples and he tells them, it says, while he was together with them, while Jesus was together with his disciples, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. This, he said, is what you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so he tells them to wait in Jerusalem for this Holy Spirit to come. And this is what he says will happen. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
So the gospel, as we've said many times now, is the good news of the kingdom of God. An evangelist is simply a person who takes that message to the world. This is a person who shares the good things that God has done with him, the good things that God is doing in this world. In Acts chapter 2, the disciples are, are in Jerusalem waiting. Right? They're, they know that Jesus is supposed to send this Holy Spirit that's going to give them power to be witnesses. But at this point, they're not, they're not really, they're, they're praying and they're waiting, but they're not evangelizing at this point. While they're waiting, the day of Pentecost arrives. It says that while they were together in one place, suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. And tongues like flames of fire that were divided appeared, appeared to them and rested on each of them. Then they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different languages as the Spirit gave them the ability. So these Jewish men have the Holy Spirit fill them with power, and they begin to speak in other languages. It says in the next couple of verses that there were people from every nation under heaven that were in Jerusalem at this time, and they hear these people preaching in their own languages. So if you can imagine, there's, you know, this is a modern-day example, but there's people speaking Italian, French, uh, Portuguese, Japanese, African languages, people from all over the world, and you just hear this massive group of people preaching in everybody's own language. So it says then that as, as these individuals were listening, it says, we hear them speaking the magnificent acts of God in our own language. They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what could this be? But some sneered and said, they are full of new wine. So at this point, Peter stands up and he's ready, he's ready to preach. He's ready to give the first evangelistic message. And that's what we're going to read. If we can have um, the first verse put up here, it's uh, Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 14. So while all of this is happening, Peter stands up with the eleven. He raised his voice and proclaimed to them, Men of Judah and all you residents of Jerusalem, let me explain to you and pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all humanity. And then your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my male and female slaves in those days, and they will prophesy. I will display wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and remarkable day of the Lord that the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to these words. This Jesus, the Nazarene, was a man pointed out to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and to kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. 
God has resurrected this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he had been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you see and hear. For it was not David who ascended to the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord declares to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Messiah. If you remember the story up till this point, Jesus was proclaiming the good news of the gospel and he was crucified and murdered because of this good news that he was preaching. What is it that would make a man stand up before the people who had his Savior crucified and say, the man who you killed, the man that you crucified, he is Lord and Messiah. Peter wasn't just sharing something flippantly that he, he read online or something that he enjoyed, something that was nice or funny or his favorite ice cream shop. Peter was literally standing up and saying, I know you just killed Jesus because he preached the kingdom of God. Well, guess what? He is Lord. He is Messiah. And the kingdom of heaven is here on earth. You can kill Jesus all you can try to kill Jesus all you want, but his kingdom is not going anywhere. It is here on this earth. So my question is, what, what would cause a man to be willing to stand up even to the point of death, knowing that likely they were going to eventually kill him as well for preaching the same message as Jesus. I think, I think that the answer is that Peter had a, a real personal relationship with Christ to the point that he had unwavering conviction in the power of God and he believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When a man dies and comes back to life, that's, that's a movement that cannot be stopped. And so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to go through some of the main points of Peter's sermon. When you're talking about the good news of a kingdom, there's aspects or results of that that impact our daily life. And as Peter moves through his sermon, he touches three main areas, yeah, three, three to four main areas that have a direct in, impact in our lives. And so I want to look at what does it mean that the, the good news of the kingdom is here on this earth? What does that mean for us? So you guys can turn in your Bibles to Acts 2.11. The beginning of the story is the Holy Spirit empowers the people. He comes upon the Jews in Jerusalem. What do they say? What's their result? What's the response when they're full of the Holy Spirit? In Acts 2.11, it says, um, and sorry, you can go ahead and move forward in the PowerPoint. It goes through um, exactly the way that I have it laid out with the, the Bible verses. So you can just keep moving forward. You don't have to go back. Um, in Acts 2.11, it says, we hear them speaking the magnificent acts of God in our own languages. So the first thing that we see here, the first result of the kingdom of heaven, is that these people have an unwavering confidence that the good things that have happened in their life are directly from the hands of God. Any 
pain, any suffering that they've experienced relief from, any salvation from sins, any food and shelter that they have on a daily basis, all of those items, they're saying, here are the good things that God do for us every single day of our life. And so as you are thinking about your life, as you're thinking about the goodness of God and the ways that he's affected you, my question is, is do you share the good things that God has done in your life with others? This is a very, very simple way to evangelize, is to just tell people, these are the things that God has done for me. You, you think of big things like a, a mother or father, a family member who was healed from cancer, um, someone who was healed from chronic illness, but even smaller things like daily food, like a shelter, having a family that loves you, that is raising you in the knowledge of the Lord. All of these, item, all, all of these things are, are God's good and magnificent works in your life. So that's the question. Do you recognize God's magnificent works in your life, and do you tell other people about them? As the story continues, Peter starts his sermon by pointing out that everything that they see happening, the Holy Spirit coming, the speaking in tongues, this is all direct result of prophecy of what's going to happen in the last days. And as he gets to the main point of, of Joel, the, the prophet that he's quoting, he says in Acts 2.21, then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter had an unwavering confidence that literally every single person who calls on the name of the Lord has the ability to be saved. And so my question to you is, do you have that same confidence? Do you believe that people who are far off, people who are deep in sin, people who are hateful, who are murderous, prostitutes, Whatever the situation, do you believe that if they call on the name of the Lord, they can be saved? There was, um, there was a group of five missionaries back in the 1950s that traveled to Ecuador. During this time, one of the most savage and severe Indian tribes in the world was living in the Ecuadorian Amazon jungle. These individuals were so... They were so hateful and so spiteful that any time that a white person would come in, or I say white person, but really anybody from the outside world, whether other Indians, whether Ecuadorians, whether missionaries, whoever came in, they would immediately spear them to death, known as some of the most savage Indians in the world. And there was a group of five men that felt like the Holy Spirit was calling them, saying, you need to go and preach the gospel to these individuals, because if they hear the gospel, they will respond. Well, these missionaries moved to Ecuador. They began trying to make friends with them. So the way they did this is they would fly their plane in. They're in the middle of the, literally the middle of the jungle. There's hardly anywhere to put the plane down. So what they would do is they would circle the plane around. And as they would circle it, they would drop a rope down. And that rope would spin around. And eventually, with the force of the plane spinning, it would move towards the center of the vortex and just stop, basically not moving at all. And through that process, they were able to drop things like machetes, uh, pots, little trinkets, gifts, so that this Indian tribe would know, they would know that these missionaries are friendly. And over time, they began to see this, the faces and the responses of the Indians. They began to expect these missionaries to come and give them stuff. So they'd come out and they'd hoop and holler and, and dance around in their 
uh, they didn't wear loincloths, so anyway, we won't talk about that anymore. Um, but as time went on, the missionaries began to feel comfortable, and they said, you know what, we're going we're gonna to land the plane, we're going to try to talk to these guys. So they land the plane, they get off. Ten Indians come out from the jungle to meet them, and it's a joyous occasion. The uh, missionaries know a little bit of the language, so they, they talk a little bit to them, and everything seems great. Well, a little bit of time passes, and just like that, the Indians turn on them and spear the five missionaries. Many from the outside world looked in on that incident and said, what a waste of life and talent. Many Christians looked in on that event and said, what a waste of people who would, who would go to the jungle and, and ruin their lives for seemingly nothing. Well, the good news is, is that we don't see the whole picture. And as time went on, a, a wife and a sister went back. Elizabeth Elliot and Rachel Saint. They moved back into the tribal group and they began to learn the language and translate the Bible and preach the gospel. And as time went on, the vast majority of that tribe came to know the Lord and became to believe in him. Now, you guys can do a lot of reading and research about Indian animism, their beliefs, their practices. This is deep, deep darkness that these missionaries were going into. Lies that Satan had been feeding these Indians for, for thousands of years. And through the preaching of the word of God, they heard and they believed. My question is, do, do you believe that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved? If you believe that, you have good news to share with those around you. You have a good message, and it's the power of the Holy Spirit that can bring salvation. Peter's next main point in his sermon is found in Acts 2.24. And here we see, if we can move to Acts 2.24, that would be awesome. Um, in this verse, we see Peter pointing out that Jesus was risen, he, he rose from the grave, beating the power of sin and death. And later on in the Bible, you'll see this, this language used or this event used to show that, to prove that we as Christians have the hope of resurrection in the future. All right, so the, the argument goes like this. Jesus Christ died, rose from the grave. Because of the fact that he rose from the grave, Christians look forward to hope that we one day will be risen as well. In the Bible itself, you will also see Paul say, if Jesus did not raise from the dead, we will not raise from the dead. Everything that we hinge on, on as, as Christians is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If he did not raise, Paul himself will say, what are we doing? The good news about this is that we see the resurrection, the resurrecting power, and the restoration that God can provide. So when we're in this world of sin and hurting, chronic pain and illness, a lot of times it feels like we have nothing to offer. The fact of the matter is you and I cannot control God. We cannot control the Holy Spirit. We cannot make him heal anybody. But the good news that we do have is that because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, one day there will be a resurrection. There will be restoration. There will be a, alleviation from pain 
for everyone who puts their faith in the Lord. So my question to you is, do you believe in the resurrection of the dead? We talk about this all the time. Every single day we see people die. And we don't, we at this moment do not see resurrection. But if you believe in the resurrection of Christ, you have hope in the future that Christ and the Father will one day raise us and restore us. Paul's final point, we've already discussed this a little bit. To end his sermon, Peter makes one of the most offensive statements that a Christian can make at this time. This is in 236. If we can move to 236. Um, he says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Again, the fact that he points out that they killed Jesus is just like insane to me. I can't imagine standing up before a mob of people who had someone murdered and then saying like, hey, you know, the person you killed, well, he's still king. That is just, that's wild to me. He had such unwavering confidence that Jesus is the king and Jesus is the Lord. My question to you, do you believe it? Do you know Jesus as king? Do you know him as Lord? Do you believe that the kingdom of God is the true kingdom that's reigning on this earth and that we as believers have good news to share with those around us? If you believe these things, this is what evangelism can look like in your life. Speaking about the magnificent acts of God, telling others that they can be saved from their sins if they call on the Lord. Telling others that because Jesus has risen from the dead, there is resurrection and there's life and restoration in him. And proclaiming that Jesus, the king of peace and suffering, is the true king of this world. The servant king, he's the true king of this world. Now, uh, we're going to end with just a couple more verses in Acts chapter 2. If there's anybody in this room who, who doesn't believe, and that's, that's fine. We all were at a point in our life at one point where we did not believe. If you don't believe and you're wondering and you're questioning what's the next step, I want to answer your, I want to answer your question with Peter's own words. In Acts chapter 2, verses 38, he ends his sermon. As the crowd hears this, it says that they're cut to the heart, that they're convicted, and they say, what do we do? What must we do to be saved? And Peter replies, Stop there. repent, Peter said to them, and be baptized, each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Can we move on to the, the next one? Okay, I'll read it from here. Repent, Peter said to them, and be baptized, each of you in the name of each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord God will call. And with many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, be saved from this corrupt generation. You guys can uh, go ahead and bow your heads.
if there is, if there is anyone who is asking that question, what must I do? The answer is to repent of your sins and return to the Lord. Christ is able and he is willing to save whoever calls on his name. So the first step to evangelism is knowing the Lord and knowing his salvation. If you have not experienced his salvation, you have nothing to share with anybody else. There is, there is no good news to share. And so if you want to do that this evening, um, I'm just going to ask that you would raise your hand up and say, I want to repent of my sins and believe in Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. Then for another group of individuals who are in this room who have grown up in the church, who who know the Lord, who genuinely know the Lord, you know his goodness, you've experienced his forgiveness, but you don't share. I, I get it. Like, it's hard. I've been following the Lord for a long time. I went to seminary, studied the Bible, and it's hard to share. In its most simple, simplistic form, being an evangelist is no more than sharing the goodness of God in your life. So this is what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you to repent. To repent of your desire to keep Christ and his goodness to yourself. And to, to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start trying. I'm going to start telling people about good things that God's doing. Whether it's forgiveness of sin. Whether it's healings. Whether it's food and shelter. Even if it's... And this is really the most important part, even if it's just Jesus is Lord and I believe it. If there's anybody who, who wants to repent and make a change tonight, saying, I've got to start telling people. God is too good. He's been too gracious to me and I've got to start telling others. Um, would you raise your hand? So the other thing I, I would ask of you, if you did raise your hand for either, is that when you go to your small groups this evening, that you would talk to them. This is an ongoing challenge. You repent today and go out and share the gospel tomorrow, and, and we just keep doing it. We just keep saying, Lord, you are good, and I need your help to share your goodness. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. Lord, that you have saved me from my sin my pride and my anger and my greed, my selfishness, Lord. Lord, you died for me before, before I was born. You've died for me before I've committed any of my sins. And you offered salvation through Jesus Christ. You offered the hope of resurrection that one day I will raise again and I'll be free from sin and pain and suffering. I'll be reunited with you. Lord, I thank you for that and I pray that this youth group would start, would start to proclaim, start to share the goodness of God around them. Lord, light a fire in our hearts for you and for your, for your name. We pray this in your name. Amen.